The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. Hey, so still in Gospel of Luke? No shock there, right? Uh, by the way, last week we finished uh, the first eight chapters. So we're clipping along actually at a pretty good pace. Uh, and what I want you to know, the first eight chapters really was tackling this idea. Who is Jesus? Now, the Gospel of Luke as a whole is trying to answer that question, but the first eight chapters, really, was, that was what they were seeking. Luke was seeking to answer for O Theophilus, right? Um, what you're going to see, though, is chapters 9 through 18 are really going to start to hone in on if he is this, if he is the Messiah, if he is the Christ, if he is the one who has all power and all authority to tell the storm to knock it off, right? To, to be able to raise people from the dead, to cast out demons, to have demon-filled men and women throw themselves before him and say, you know, son of the Most High, do not torment me because we know you have all authority. If that's who he is, what does it mean to follow him? If, if that is who he said, if he is who he says he is, what does that make us? So, so really, 9 through 18 is going to really hone in on discipleship. And what you're going to see is you're going to see this word follow over and over. It's going to be a, a very key word. We'll get into that the week after Easter, let's say. But it's going to be a key word for the next nine chapters. And as the chapter lays out the, really the basics of what it means to be a disciple, right? A follower of Christ in the most basic ways. But today is really the launch pad into that. So that's a little introduction. Let's get into the text. Luke 9, we're going to look at 1 through 6. So Luke 9, 1 through 6. It says, and he, Jesus, called the, the 12, uh, the apostles, right? Apostles means sent ones, right? Uh, he called them together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal by the way, don't, don't miss the order, right? It, the order is being before doing. He calls them together. He reminds them who he is, who they are. Then he gives them power. Then he gives them authority. Then he sends them out, right? If we get those backwards, we, we really get this thing messed up. And he said to them, he said, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, nor money. And, and do not have two tunics, right? Shirts. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there, depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed, and they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. All right, let's look at this text. First off, this is a tough text to preach to people that really this doesn't apply to. Why? Because you're not the apostles, right? But I do think there's some things we can definitely learn here because the Word of God is profitable, right? Um, Just a a little word as we move forward from here, by the way. In the Bible, if you don't get these things figured out, you're going to get very confused quickly. There are prescriptive text and there are descriptive text, okay? This is a descriptive. It's describing what Jesus has done with the apostles in that time. This does not mean that you and I can't have two coats, right? Um, Doesn't mean you can't take a Sammy with you when you go for a walk. But, 
But there are principles that we can pull out, okay? And, and that's what we're going to seek to do, right? Um, so, so listen, the instructions in Luke 9 were not literally meant for everyone who would go and preach the gospel anywhere at any time. However, there are things we can learn here. So let, let's look. Notice, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. <laughs> Just go. It's time to see if the baby birds can fly. Right? That's exactly what's happening here. He's pushing them out of the nest. Let's see. Flap your wings. Okay, one fail. This is not good. Just kidding. Um, but here's the thing. There's, there's nothing in our reading from the Gospel of Luke that would make us think that the disciples are prepared or even qualified for such a mission like this right now. I mean, I mean nothing. Right? Have you seen anything along the first eight chapters that says these guys are definitely ready? Right? I, I think about T-ball. I had sent a video to a couple of friends of mine this week that had, it, it, you had to watch the video a handful of times because you had to watch a different kid each time. You may have seen this thing. It's viral or something. I don't know. Uh, but, but basically, this one kid's running around. This one's spinning in circles. This one's like flapping. And they're all over the field. And it is chaos. It's chaos. These kids are not ready to play ball. Right? But you can't wait until they're ready. You can't wait till they're ready. You have to teach. You have to give them a chance. You could read books all day on how to play baseball, but eventually you got to pick up a bat. You got to learn how to hold it. You got to keep the elbow back. You got to keep your eye on the ball. Put on a glove. Do the thing. And you're going to look really bad for a while. It's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. So the other thing is, though, I think about is I think, so you, so you need practice. You need reps, right? I think that's fair to say. The other thing I think about, though, is if you don't ever engage, you can make the mistake when I think about UFC. I love UFC, right? Some of you are just like, oh, that's so terrible. It's violence. It is. And they <laughs> sign up for it, and I love it. But, but here's what I want you to know. You could make the mistake if you never get in the game of thinking you could do that. I watch it, right? And there's times I forget I'm broken and I have a hard time getting out of the couch if it's really cushiony, right? But there's times where I'm watching this thing and I'm like, oh, I could totally, yeah, put me in the octagon, right? I, I beat myself up just by walking. Are you kidding me? So, so there's this mistake that I think that happens. We have to wait till we arrive before we actually do something which is wrong. But then there's this other mistake that we make. We, we understand, we read, I've read all the books on mission, this, that, and you've never shared the gospel with your neighbor, and you think, I have arrived. Because you've actually never got in the game. Notice, Jesus made so good. Their learning occurs when Jesus commands them. He, he doesn't wait for them to arrive. He says, go. Go, right? This is how discipleship works, by the way. It's time for expansion, right? Up to this point, Jesus has been the one doing all the preaching, all the teaching, all the healing. And now he's saying, it's time for you all to go. Like, could you imagine what they might have, what would they have been thinking? What must they have been wondering? Oh, and, and by the way, don't take anything with you except the clothes on your back, basically. That, that's what he just said to them, right? Why? Why is Jesus sending them out empty-handed? Well, in a sense, he hasn't. He hasn't sent them out empty-handed. Notice what he said. He's given them power, and he's given them purpose. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you authority, and here's your mission. Here's what you're to do. 
Oh, they have everything they need. The, the same is true for the church today. By the way, there's so many people who, who know what they've been saved from. Oh, man, if you ask most Christians, yes, I've been saved from Satan, sin, and death. But they have no clue what they've been saved for. What have I been saved for? I guess, well, I just live my best life now. Every day is Friday. I wait for Jesus to return. Try to be as happy as I can between now and then. And, of course, I ought to be nice. And it's just not in the Bible. This is not in the Bible at all, right? But that is the American gospel. That is the American idea, for the most part, of what it means to be a Christian. You know, just don't be too bad, and, and don't hang out with people who are bad. Just surround yourself with people kind of like you, you know, and, and don't cuss, but you could say ding fought if you're really mad. Wow, oh, what a mistake. What a mistake. We, we've, been, we've been saved for the sheer pleasure of God's delight in saving, but to glorify Him. We've been blessed to be a blessing, right? This is not just about you, me, and Jesus. This, this is, he's doing a cosmic work here, and He does it through His church. Notice it says, Jesus gave them power and authority. All that they would need in order to what? Drive out demons, to cure diseases, and to, but, but, but to proclaim, proclaim, declare what? The kingdom of God and heal. The king is here. The king is here. Messiah is here. Now you got to know, as we, as we continue through Luke, Messiah being here, they think he's coming to squash Rome. They don't have a clue that he's coming to be squashed. They have no clue of that. But he'll keep on telling them, and they'll keep on missing it. But we know that. We know that because we're not in the moment right there with them. We are on the other side. So we look back and we understand Messiah has come to make all things new through his death and through his resurrection. Now we have power because the Holy Spirit has come upon us and we have purpose. Go. Go. Cross the street, cross the river, across oceans if need be. But you go. And notice, notice they, they, they got, you're, okay, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Spiritually, yes. Physically, yes. Emotionally, yes. Relationally, yes. But why no stuff? Why can't I take a, a staff? Right? I got a gimpy leg. I should probably have a staff when we're in Maine walking around the mountains, right? But I don't because I'm a fool. <laughs> okay, think about it now. You're going, Scott, no iPad. You're going to go for a while. No granola bar. No Red Bull, right? Doesn't give you wings anyway. No coffee, no debit card. Why? Why did he do this to them? Well, I think they're to understand that Jesus is sufficient to provide. Trust your Father in heaven. He's got you. Now, he doesn't say that, but he's absolutely saying that in this moment. As the disciples go, they will be continually reminded of their need and their dependency. Think they were praying? Lord, Father, I don't know how they would have prayed. Oh, let there be someone in this area who will open up their home to me so we have a place to lay our head tonight. Why? So that they have a nice bed? No, so they don't get robbed, so they don't get beat, so they don't get killed. They're praying. They're very aware that they are needy. They're very dependent. And they're asking, I guarantee it. Their mission will require them to act in faith. To trust, 
right? This is, this is the difference between dependent and independent. All too many times we, we say, well, yeah, I know I'm, I'm dependent upon the Lord, but we live very independent. How you can tell is your prayer life. You can tell by your prayer life, right? Um, it's a great indicator anyway, right? If you're just like, you know, Lord, just hope that, you know, today I'd see some birdies singing and, you know, I'd be nice if someone's mean to me on the, the freeway on Route 30. I might wave to them and not with just one finger, but all five, right? <laughs> that, that, that's our prayers. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. This is what we need help with. Uh, we need much more than that. But notice the specific ways that the disciples are to interact as they go. Once they get to where they're going, they're, they're to be gracious guests. Why? Because they're hoping you'll say, you could stay. i got a place for you, right? This sounds wild in our context and culture, right? We don't generally let people we know and somewhat like stay at our house, right? Let me pray about it, which is like they're not going to say yes. Uh, almost always. Sometimes they say yes. What do you got to pray about? You have an empty room? I need a place. Let's go, Right? But these folks don't know these folks. And they're just meeting them. And they're like, oh man, I hope they will welcome us in. So stay in the house if possible, right? Don't go looking for the four seasons, right? Or, or some other fancy little resort. No, you, you be kind to the people in the town and hope that someone opens their door and stay in one house if possible because this, this is going to be a short-term mission trip, but you're going to need a place to lay your head at night. Okay. However, listen, if they don't receive a warm welcome, did you notice that it says they're to shake off the dust, right? Right, like, like one of those. Off your feet as a testimony against them. I can't get into this too much, but here's what I want you to know. Way too many times I've heard this text used in a particular way to promote a very short, fused, hostile approach to sharing the gospel, right? Just want you to know, Jesus died for you. Oh, man, I don't know if I believe that. Well, then let me tell you, right? And just walk away. That's just silly. That's just silly. That, that's, that's not at all reality. How do I know that? Why? Well, because disciples are going to get sent back into these towns. It isn't a one and done. Sorry, you missed your chance, right? Because we know from Acts 1-8, listen, you're going to receive power and, and you will be my witnesses and you will then go to Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, all these places that have rejected me, but now you're going to go and you're going to tell them Christ has risen. Oh, and by the way, you're going to have the gift of the Spirit. You're going to have real power. Right now they got some power on loan, right? You and I actually have the greater blessing because we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The greater blessing. Do you believe that? I think sometimes we say we believe that. We live as though that's not true. But what's really happening in this moment is, is the shaking the dust off, there's a lot of thought there, but it's just a merciful attempt to really arrest attention to the people who are rejecting Jesus. It's like judgment's on you. It's, it's kind of like I wash my hands of this. You ever, heard, you ever said that? It's not that you don't care. It's not that you're like, well, forget you. I've done everything. My conscience is clean. I've shared the truth with you. I've shared all of the truth with you. I'm bearing with you. It doesn't mean we're done with them, but it's saying right now Jesus is essentially telling the disciples to preach the gospel everywhere, and if it was accepted, teach. Stay. Teach. Open the scriptures. But if it's rejected, essentially you have no future 
or further responsibility in that moment, although they should continue to pray, they should continue to labor. They were free and clear in their conscience, though. You've done the work I sent you to do. And they'd done everything they could. So shake off the dust and keep on moving because maybe they're just not ready. They're not ready to do that work. Too many times we will spend time with someone who wants nothing to do with God. Sometimes it's good to just say, I love you, and, and let me know if something changes. When it comes to that, don't disconnect the relationship, but just continue to prayer instead of trying to shove a sandwich down someone's face who don't want to bite. Okay, that's, that's what he's saying. And so we keep moving, trusting that the Lord's at work. See, those who reject the good news ought not slow down the progress of the gospel, of proclaiming the good news, okay? As they go town to town, time is short. Jesus sent them out. He probably gave them a window. You must go, right? But there are situations where, where they need to stand firm, right? Especially as the church now, not the, this particular moment in, in Luke. But we need to stand firm. We need to continue to proclaim the truth. We need to continue to give patient testimony to our neighbors and to the people that God has placed in our lives, right? But sometimes we need to continue and, and so we can give a further result of the testimony. But other times, other times God graciously gives us freedom to just move on. To just move on. So figuratively, we have to just shake off the dust and keep on moving keep on moving and that doesn't mean we don't love them but it's a friendly reminder that we're only responsible to our obedience to God's call we're not responsible for the result if you if you forget that you're going to be very disappointed often and very discouraged often in gospel work so the first point is that Jesus provides us with power and purpose thankfully for them and for us the power for, for mission comes not from something with inside us, unless you mean the gift of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit inside us, but comes from the one who sent us out, comes from the Lord himself, right? Jesus is going to teach us over and over again throughout the gospel of Luke and, and throughout the gospels in, in, in a whole. However, he gets very explicit in the 40 days after his resurrection. Very explicit. Listen to this, right? Probably in about seven years we're going to get to this text. Luke 24 46 through 49. Just kidding. We'll get there much sooner. Um, some of you got really scared there. This is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. In this text, what you see is you actually see power and purpose, power and mission, right? He's, he's telling them this is what it looks like. And if you've read the book of Acts, which was also written by Luke, then you know. Then you know how this goes, right? What does it involve? It involves trampling on Satan's power and, and restoring wholeness to people. The church is to be a great blessing to the world. The church is a great blessing to the world. Study your history. Oh, everyone's wanting to change the history right now. And they're wanting to revise it. But I can tell you right now, most hospitals in Pittsburgh, if you, if you study them long enough, are there because Christians sought really hard to make sure that people could have health care. Don't buy the lies. 
right? Most of your, your, your very studied institution of colleges were started by Christians because they wanted to make sure people could have an education because education used to be just for the rich and for the famous. And now it's funny because that's kind of what's happened. But anyway, to be a blessing. And it says right there, and they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Do you believe that God will work in your life, your ministry in this way? Do you? Because I tell you right now, all too often, many ministries, listen, suffer. Individual and collective suffer, ready, from having too much. Too much. And wrongly thinking that nothing is happening because they just need more. Well, our ministry would work if we just had fill in the blank. Well, we would have a lot more people here if we just had a building. We'd have a lot more people here if we just had a bus, so we could have a bus ministry. We would have a lot more people here if, 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 if. It's just not reality. So this week I, I, I got to cooking on that idea, and I, here are the six common roadblocks. This is a quote to church growth. Ready? Ready? Okay, I love it. This is great. One, not ready to expand. Why? They don't have enough staff, not enough funds, not enough programs. That's just point one, okay? Point two, not enough space. By the way, we're strapped for space here. Glad a half of our church got blown away today. Now there's room. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Not enough space. Building isn't big enough, right? Parking lot's too small. Street parking is a death blow, <laughs> Right? Okay, cool. And by the way, there's wisdom in some of this, but these are the top six. I love that. Communication issues. Boy, do we have that. Um, you're looking at it. Lack of engaging sermons. Website is lame. Sun by the way, there's some church the website that are pretty lame. I just got to say it. Like, come on, do better, right? You can do better. This looks like somebody who had a crayon with a Burger King crown and just like, anyway. Sunday bulletin doesn't tell us enough. That's real, by the way. Newsletters are lacking on and on. Number four, resistant to change. You are the problem. <laughs> That's what they're saying. <laughs> You're the problem. Yeah, way to go, church. Um, number five, encouraging attendance. We need more social events, live streaming, quick sermon bites. Get it down to a TED Talk. I added that. On and on. Number six, lastly, retaining new congregants. You don't get them plugged in the first Sunday they're there. They should be caring for your children, which is, is so lame and so dangerous. And I'm not going to get into all those details, but if you just pay attention, you know why that backfired. You're having people you don't even know have access to the people that are most dear, the most vulnerable in the church. But because it says we didn't get them plugged in, give them something to do. Oh, how wrong. What a joke. It's just straight up, that's just a joke, right? If that offends you, you'll never make it here anyway. I might as well tell you now. This kind of mentality lacks power and lacks purpose. It just lacks power and lacks purpose, right? It places our hope in gadgets and gimmicks, not the gospel. That's what it does. It's, I'm not saying there's not wisdom in some of these things, right? Like, literally, we're right now looking for the next location God would have us as a people. And I would like there to be a parking lot, right? Why? Because it's about people, though. 
It's, I, I want moms to be able to come in and push their stroller. I, I want access into the building for, for some particular special needs so that we don't limit reasons for people to be able to come. But, but that's all people focused in a sense. It's not about so we can just have a lot more people so they can do this or they can do that. We're just thinking about the people that are here and that might come. But those aren't the reasons that God's not doing something amazing through your ministry. And if you think that, you're so confused. You're just so confused. I remember during the lockdown of, of the, the pandemic, everyone's like saying, well, what is the church going to do? I don't know. Love your neighbor. There's a shocking idea. Right? I, I mean, we had more opportunities with our neighbors during that time because of the suffering that was happening in their lives and they're now talking to us and it's not in a Sunday morning. You, you can't shut the church down. It's living. It's active. It's you. It's me. It's God's people. What we're lacking, man, the Lord provides, but here's what we need. We need more of Him. You know why? I'm going to tell you right now. That kind of consumer mentality that lacks power and purpose is, is a consumer mindset. It's a consumer mindset. And can I just say right now, comfort seekers have never done anything for the name of Christ and his kingdom. Nothing. They may by accident. Oh, the, the American church has so much. And, and by the way, the American church does do a lot of amazing things. Study the work that happens within the American church to send missionaries, money, and all these things. So I'm not down on the American church. I'm down on the church growth idea. Don't get it confused. We are the American church. That'd be weird, right? We're losers. No, I'm saying we need to get our minds right. We need to get our minds right. A submitted life is an uncomfortable life. And it's the best life. Do you believe that? Anything you're lacking, God could provide. If he hasn't provided, he's saying you don't need it yet. Maybe ever. Right? It's his providence, that's from last week, that we don't have a building yet. But we do have a building. You're in it. It's not ours. And I'm thankful because I don't know how to fix things. Just this week, Levi and I are trying to fix someone's uh, house that's in our church gathering. And I mean, this is like Bob the Builder South Park edition, right? Like... <laughs> I mean, we need folks to come along who love King Jesus who can fix things. And if you're like, I'm very handy, see me after church because I need to direct things to you because I'm not. I'm not. That's why I have to pay people to do things. But I want you to know, we have everything we need or God would give us the things that we need to do what he's called us to do. We're not lacking anything. Don't start thinking that way because then about the time we get a, a building, a building, you'll start to think, I don't have to do anything else because we've arrived. You haven't arrived. We haven't arrived. What we need is power and purpose, and God has graciously given us both. We have that. The church has never thrived in seasons of sunshine with excessive things, right? It's triumphed through persecution, power, prayer, with the purpose that he's given us. It's always triumphed through there. I was talking to someone this week. And they were saying about how hard it is to be a Christian in other countries. And I agree. I agree. And they're like, you know, think about China. But I can tell you right now, and I flipped that whole conversation on its head. I said, I think in some ways it's harder to be a Christian in America. And he's like, what? 
And I, Kevin Giddings just gave me the what look. It was like the Scooby-Doo look. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He did it. But you did. Your face said it. Um, in one regard, that's right. It, that's a crazy thought. Why would you ever say that? Well, I can tell you right now, they're, they're both hard, just different. See, they're physically hard. They get beat. They get persecuted. But I can tell you right now, many of them who know the Lord are praying, and they're trusting, and they're very dependent. Here's just different hard. We don't really need God, because I've got some sunshine, and I've got some Netflix, and life is all right. I mean, just think about it. We just don't think we need God. That's a different hard. Don't get me wrong, but do you see the point? There's, there's many times we're not even aware we need God. You need God every second of your life. I need God every second of my life, but we just become numb to it. We just become numb to it. We're not praying. You know, I remember one time <laughs> Sarah said, why do we pray for daily bread? We have more than enough bread. But that's the mindset of a lot of people. Why are we praying? We, my fridge is full. My freezer is full. We have two-car garages. We don't. Actually, street parking right now. But anyway, that's cool. And we fill them up with stuff so we can't even put our cars in it. Well, we're well provided for. But I tell you, there are times where that's hard to be a Christian in because you just become so numb. Oh, and Jesus sends these guys out and he strips it all away and he says, Go, you're going to trust that I'm going to provide because you've got nothing. I'm going to remind you you got nothing. Choose your heart. Why? Because nobody's impressed with the Ned Flanders of the world. Can I just say that here? If you don't know who Ned is, don't watch The Symptoms. I will talk later. <laughs> you know, they just kind of live in a Christian bubble, right? You're not, it doesn't take a lot of faith to be that guy. I lived it. I was in the cul-de-sac. My biggest problem was a shingle blew off, and I don't know how to fix that. But I got 47 guys to go to the church that can. That was my biggest problem. But you move Ned to a hostile place and have him continue to love and to persevere, and it will cause a ruckus, and it will make some noise. And he might get beat, he might get murdered, right? But the world will say, who is this? Who is this guy that keeps on just loving when we knock his teeth out? Keeps on smiling. Who is this? And that's exactly what happens in Luke 9, 7-9. through 9. Look. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening. And he was perplexed. He was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. By some that Elijah had appeared. And by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, wait a minute. John, I beheaded. Right? So it would be weird if he came back. Right? But who is this that I am hearing such things? And he sought to see him. Who is this Jesus? Right? By the way, if you didn't know John got beheaded, there you go. He got beheaded. Right? We can't get into all that or we'll never get to the rest of this. But here's what's going on. Reports of the apostles' mission in Jesus' name, made its way back to the king, and the king is perplexed. What is the effect of a gospel ministry that has power and purpose? I'll tell you, people begin asking real serious questions. Who is Jesus? Who are these people? Who are these people that keep loving one another, even in the midst of conflict? Oh, because 
Church doesn't like to do that all too often. Conflict happens, you get a new zip code and a new church, and you show up and you're shiny and you're happy, and then you have conflict there and you leave and you keep just leaving instead of actually working through it. But if you'll work through it, people will start to say, they're not just nice. Gosh, I hate that word, nice. It's so lame. They're loving. They love when it hurts. No one's impressed you're nice. I know tons of lost people that are nicer than you. Do you forgive? Do you work reconciliation? Do you confront people who are living in sin because you love their soul more than you love your comfort with that friend? You're not nice. You're not called to be nice. And if you're like, I really like this sermon, great, you're going to have eight more of them for months because we got eight chapters of it. And if you're like, I don't like it, time to find a new place. Because you don't get nothing else because this is what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling you to die. Oh, and that's coming hard, heavy, and fast as soon as we turn the page on this moment right here. And guess what? You're like, I can't do it. Great. You finally are starting to understand. You can't. I can't. We can't. He can, and he provides. Well, about the time you stop thinking I can do this, we've now started to cook with some some serious jet fuel. We can't. We need him more than you and I can actually begin to understand. So people will start to ask, who is this Jesus? Let me question, is there anything about your personal ministry or even ours collectively as a church, I ask this often, that leaves people perplexed, wondering, what's the deal with these people? What's the deal with these people? The the way they walk, the way they talk, the way they love, their boldness, their compassion, their convictions. Something's different about them. And it's not just that they don't watch PG-13 movies. Like, I'm talking something's really different. The way they listen to me when I talk, I know they care. The way that they're there. They give the gift of presence. They show up. Is anyone asking that? I hope so. And I'll tell you why. Because I want to live and I want to love in such a way. I want to preach in such a way that I make nominal Christians uncomfortable. Nominal. I love Jesus. They don't love Jesus. That's what nominal means. Not because I'm arrogant. But because I'm captivated. I'm compelled. I'm a man who has power and purpose. And if you understand that, and if you live by faith like like that, you, you will stand out in this world. People will call you names. And it's okay. Because Christ has already called you, and he says, you're mine. So point two, we have three points. Is that going to happen? It's not going to happen. Just get over it, Scott. All right. Talking to myself now. Point two, gospel-saturated churches who are empowered by the Spirit, will be perplexing to the onlooking world. We will. Expect it. The the reason most people are not scratching their heads when they leave the presence of God's people is because they're not impressed with your lame concert, your haze, your lights, your super relevant hipster pastor who gets up there and talks about the thriving kids ministry and the thriving teens ministry and your coffee bars and on and on and on. Why? Because they can get it anywhere. And almost always better. 
Why are we trying to compete in that way? It's just, it's just silly. The gospel is not a gimmick to be peddled, right? It, it, it's not something like that in order to make some profit from, right? This is God's people we're talking about. The gospel is to be believed. It is to be embraced. It is to be proclaimed by very ordinary people like you and I to your neighbors, to the people you love, to the people who hate you, but you still love them. That's who we're to be doing this work with. Very ordinary people empowered by God with a purpose. This is what turns the world upside down. This is what causes people to scratch their heads. This is what has people saying, what's the deal with these people? And that's a good thing. See, this city will be reached by people who are saturated with the gospel empowered by the Spirit, and, and really have the aroma of heaven on them. No matter what comes my way, all is well with my soul as I cry my eyes out. That stands out to a world who doesn't understand how you can say, my God is good in the midst of this loss. Though He slay me, I'll hope in Him. And that takes power. You and I can't do that. Okay. Let's keep moving because Jesus wants to drive home the point to the, to the disciples. So remember, God's gospel, right? God's spirit are sufficient for God's mission, okay? You'll hear us say that often here, and you see it right here in Luke 9, 10 through 17. Very famous part of scripture. I was going to have this be a separate sermon. Looking at the time, I probably should have, but I can't, and I'll tell you why. It so goes together. So look at it. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a small town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away. And, and go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. I love it. They get one mission. Now they're bossing Jesus around. Right? <laughs> you do this, right? But notice what Jesus said. And I, by the way, I loved how Alexis said it. She said it with some sass. She, she said, you give them something to eat. Now, I don't know if Jesus said it that way, but, but Alexis said it that way. And that cracked me up because... Because I, th I think there is that, that heart posture. He's like, no, you do this. You do this. M many times this will happen with the church. We've got to get the professionals to do something. That's the people that are paid. No, no, no. God's put them in your life. You do this. Now, if you need help, let it be known. Let us come alongside you. Let us support you. And maybe it does need particular gifting. But most often, God's placed it in your lap because it's your opportunity to trust him. You do this, he said. You give them something to eat. And they said, we have, we have no more than five loaves, two fish. We've got a kid's lunchable here. Look how many people there are. Unless we go buy food for all these people. And who has that kind of cash? We're broke. We gave everything away. I'm adding those pieces. That's in, not in there. For there were about 5,000 men. By the way, this could have been upwards of 20,000 people. Because it's 5,000 men. We don't know if that's men, women, children. We don't know. But even if it's 5,000, you got five loaves and two little smelt fish probably. They're not even that big. What are you going to do with that? Here's some crumbs. 
And he said to his disciples, listen, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he had them sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they, listen, all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. (laughs) Okay, if you're good at math, which I'm not, that don't add up. It's called a miracle, right? But, But... What's the point? Oh, that's a really nice story. That's not the point. Once again, Jesus has brought his disciples into a situation where they understand their, their, the needs of the people around them far extend what they have. Far extend their resources. Far extend their abilities. And they need God to provide. You ever felt like that? <laughs> All the time. All the time, right? Jesus uses difficult circumstances to display his divine power to instruct his people. So here's the lesson. Last point. This is a miracle happening right now. It's like fishes and loaves. Jesus is the one who is able to provide richly for the world through, listen, the church. The church. See, the fishes and loaves story is known by even those who have no real understanding of the Bible. However, many either toss it out in disbelief, like, that's not true, that's like a wives' tale, I don't believe that, that's a bunch of garbage, or, oh, well, that's such a neat story, we should make a flannel graph. <laughs> that's what happens. But, but, but what's happening here is you miss the point if you do either of those things. The point is, Church, listen, Fuller City, church, you, we approach the Bible not as scholars. Like, well, what kind of fish were they? Were they trout or salmon? We don't do that. Not as some distant admirer, but as a soldier, as sons, as daughters, knowing that we need to understand what God's instructing and what he's doing here. Why? Because you have power. You have a purpose. Not like the world talks about, like, living your best life. No, he gives you power. He gives you the mission. And you're a part of it. I don't want to be. But if you're in the family, you are. You've been blessed to be a blessing. So then what do we learn? Well, I think there's three things easily we can learn from this moment right here. One, God can multiply our meager resources and accomplish great things. I think that's the first thing. we. It's just so obvious. Just give me what you got. Trust me to do something with it. That's what he's saying. What do we have? Well, we have some fold-out chairs, by the way, very comfortable, and I like them. I hope you like them. These are the best ones we could get, right? And they breathe. I actually like them better than the cushion chairs, personally. What do you got? I don't got much. Here's what I got. We'll do something with that. He'll, He'll multiply. He'll provide. Do you believe this? I do. All too often, we look at the needs around us, and we conclude that we don't have enough resources to help. Right? That's an easy temptation to fall into. Um, We must remember that God is in the business of multiplying our offering. Here's all I got. But I'm giving it to you in faith. What will you do? Just just watch. Just watch. Because he can multiply anything that we offer him in faith. And he does. Our time, our talents, our treasure, all of it. God uses those little gifts to accomplish far more than we could ever imagine. Why? Because it's not dependent upon our fishes and loaves. 
It's given in faith, right? I wanted to talk about something there. No time for that. The second thing I think that we learn about is God expects us to be a part of the solutions. God expects the church to be a part of the solutions. The, the disciples saw a problem, right? It's getting late. It's getting late in the day. Everyone's getting a little hungry here, Jesus. Oh, and by the way, we just came back from a mission and we're kind of tired, right? You can almost hear that. Could you just send them away to another town? They can get some food. They can get some lodging. I mean, we were trying to get away from all these people so we could be like rejuvenated. We needed like a little bit of me and you time, Jesus. One mission trip and they're already bossing Jesus around. It's fun. Right? But, but here's what happens. Jesus promptly tells them to do something about it. You feed them. Right? Most of us have a hard time when, when we see a need. We say someone else should do something to help people out. We say that, right? Boy, it'd be nice if someone helped them. Maybe it was you. Maybe you're the one. You see the need? Can you help? Well, I don't have all the resources, but you could, you could still help. You don't have to fix everyone's problems. You're not even meant to fix everyone's problems. You can't fix their problems, but you can be there for them. You can invite them into your home for a dinner, and you can get to know them. And then you might know someone who knows someone who knows someone who can maybe help them. Oh, will you just trust that the Lord's going to work in your life in ways you probably don't understand, and I don't understand, but will you trust him? Because that's what he's calling us to do in that moment. Slow down. Look around. Look at your life. Look at the people that are in your lives, and see opportunities to love. To love. You see marriage is failing, don't turn, your, don't turn your eyes to it. Invite them in your home. You, you see kids struggling and trying to fend for themselves. And if you'll walk around certain parts of the city, you'll see that. You'll see it. We just don't like to walk there. It's nice to go to Twin Lakes. I like going there too, by the way. But sometimes it's good to walk, and I won't name the place because I don't want to put down anyone who might be from there. But it's good to walk in that neighborhood and you'd be amazed how many times you might get into a conversation with someone sitting on their porch because they'll cat call you out. What you doing here? <laughs> oh, I'm just out for a walk. What's your name? And you get to know them. Will you do this? And I believe you will. Maybe you know some elderly people who are isolated and struggling. Go sit with them. Just give what you got. Quit hanging out with people who are just like you. It's so boring. It's so boring. But then hang out with people like you and encourage one another. And maybe it's people just like you that need the care. I'm not trying to figure it out for you. I'm saying just be open to what God might be doing in your life. The last point of, of what we need to do as we reflect on this. Great opportunities for ministry come at the worst of times. I remember people just saying to, to us, like, you're, you guys are crazy. You're, you're wanting to plant a church during pandemic? Yeah. I didn't think it was crazy at all. I thought they were crazy because they just didn't think God would apparently do it. I just trust that he does it. Why? Because I'm really super saint? No. I just read the Bible and I see over and over he does these things. The disciples were exhausted from their time ministering out people. It is exhausting. If you will lay down your life and love people, it's going to interrupt your time. It's going to mess up your hair. And you won't have as much free time in your schedule. I promise you. But there's nothing more rewarding 
than slowing down and loving people and giving your life to that cause. I promise you. The disciples became anxious over crowd control. That's what was happening. That's a big crowd. Imagine right now 20,000 people show up here. I'm anxious. There's days I'm anxious and I don't know why I'm anxious. But on that day, I know why. Here's your sign. I'm sweating and all the things. But then it's prayer. Lord, help us. I don't know what we're going to do with 20,000 people. But, but, but take our meager things and just, just amaze people. Magnify yourself. Help us. Oh, he'll do that. See, worshiping Jesus involves sacrifice. If your worship doesn't cost you something, then chances are good it's probably not worth much. Sorry. Sorry. I mean, it's going to cost you. What? Spoiler alert. Everything. He wants it all. What about 10%? He wants it all. He wants all of you. Oh, and can I tell you right now, that's the best. Because it will cost you everything and it's all about gain. It's all about, you gain him. He's the treasure. Why build a life that's all the American dreams for a whopping 60, 70 years, some of you much less, when you're, when you're, you're throwing away an eternity with God? And that eternity starts the moment you receive him. See, Jesus provides in abundance. The disciples and now the church minister to the world at large because Jesus has provided us everything to do so. Will we trust him? Lord, help us. Last thing, listen, the 12 baskets that were gathered up ought to remind us, if you're familiar with the Bible, of the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? And there's 12 apostles, and they each have a basket full. I don't think that's by mistake. Why is that happening? To show that God has plenty to provide his people. His people. Jesus provides. Jesus satisfies. And so, by grace, we join Peter in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. And we say, I have no silver or gold. You might. (laughs) I don't. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What I have, I just offer. Here's what I got, Lord. Magnify yourself through my life. That's our prayer. That's our work. That's your mission. That's my mission. He'll give you power. Will you trust him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come and be reminded once again that we do not worship some distant deity, but we worship a good father who provides. And you have provided Jesus. You have provided Jesus for our salvation. You have provided us with your spirit, the Holy Spirit that now lives and dwells in all who believe, trust in you. And, and, and Father, through us, Lord, would you provide much mercy, much grace. As we receive, may we then give out. Lord, may we, may we be filled only to pour out, only to be filled again, because you're the one who does all the heavy lifting in our lives. You just ask us to believe and to trust. Lord, give us that kind of faith. Help us to grow. Help us to trust in you, we ask in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. 
If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.